The Being Boss book is officially available for pre-order. And you can buy it wherever books are sold. Let us know that you bought it and we'll send you some goodies. Just go to beingboss.club slash book for more details. Hello and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. Today, we're talking about connection and diversity with Monique Melton. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club. Hey, bosses. So we are a few months into the year, and I wanted to make sure that you're still holding to your resolution to stay organized and make more money than ever this year. And if that wasn't your resolution, then that is my goal for you. It's not too late to get on top of your money game, and FreshBooks Cloud Accounting is here to help. With FreshBooks, you can spend less time on accounting and more time on your core genius and doing what you love. FreshBooks will help. Get paid faster with all the features and automation FreshBooks has created, not for just anyone, but specifically with you, the creative entrepreneur in mind. Try FreshBooks Cloud Accounting for free by going to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. Monique Melton is a business coach, published author of the book Entrepreneur Friendships, a motivational speaker and diversity advocate. She supports weddings and event planning professionals in building profitable and purposeful businesses while maintaining healthy relationships. She's also the creator of Sweet Brands, which is a business development system to strategically support business owners in building more profitable and sustainable businesses. She believes it's not all about your comfort, but it's about your growth. All right, Monique, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited to get to chat with you again. This is going to be good. I got my water ready. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and dive on in. So first off, just tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Sure. I am a business coach. I'm also a published author of the book, Entrepreneur Friendships, and I do a lot of public speaking, and I like to call myself a diversity advocate. I have been doing my business for the past three years and I've created what I like to call the sweet brand system. That is a business development process for building a more profitable and purposeful business. And so the bulk of my work is very central to business development, building profitable business while also maintaining healthy relationships, because that's what I believe life is all about, whether it be the relationship you have with yourself, others, all the great stuff. It's, it's about those relationships. And how did you get here? What set you on the path to this? <laughs> well, it was a warm summer day. And, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I started my entrepreneurial career as a professional makeup artist. And I actually stumbled upon that while I was in college studying to be a therapist. And so I did makeup professionally for about 10 years, had two little brown babies in between that time. And um, when I had my second one, I went through really bad postpartum depression and anxiety. And so during going through that with my first and second, 
I did a lot of personal discovery and just, just digging in and digging deep. And I just really was re reevaluating how I wanted to show up in the world and my purpose and legacy. And so I knew I've always had a passion um, an interest in entrepreneurship and specifically around supporting others and accomplishing their dreams. I've always been really good at bringing out the best of people, whether it be with my makeup brushes or with my words of encouragement, whatever it may be. And so that's how I started along this journey and it's evolved and taken a couple different forms, but it's still very central to supporting people and doing the work they feel called to do while encouraging them to maintain amazing relationships. I want to talk a little bit about relationships because that is everything. And the older I get, the more I realize how important connection and relationships and dare I say networking. We need a new word for networking, but how important that is to business and not in like a cheesy, let me just hand you my business card kind of way, but in a way where it really is about cultivating um, friendships or these like mutually beneficial peer you know, colleague relationships or even the relationship that you have with your spouse, especially if you're working together. And Monique, I know from a previous conversation that we've had that your husband was actually your number one assistant whenever it came to your makeup business, that he was schlepping your brushes and your kit for you. Um, but I want to, I want to dig into this idea of relationship because I know whenever I was younger in college and even as a young entrepreneur, really feeling like in order for it to be valid, in order for it to be legit, strangers had to be hiring me. Like it couldn't be people that I knew. It couldn't be based on connections or family or network. It had to be on my own merit. And that meant strangers were hiring me and paying me. And I think that that's a huge mistake, but I think it is this like limiting and underlying belief that some of us really do have, like that it doesn't count unless it's being validated by people who don't know us. So I would like to hear your take on that and if you can help us bust that myth and how to really think about relationships um, and meaningful relationships as it relates to building our businesses. Well, I must say that I have, I've never quite heard anyone <laughs> be so passionate about strangers. Um, <laughs> or it would it be way. Kathleen. It would be Kathleen. <laughs> yeah, there's a first for everything. I think that when you think about business, I think we have this idea that business is supposed to be so separate from all aspects of our lives. And while I do believe that we should have a strong and clear identity outside of our business, outside of anything attached that can come and go as, as it pleases, I do believe that business should still be at the root and at the core, very relationship oriented because as a business owner, you have customers that need your services or products. How do you get that to them? By building relationships with them. You're going to need to have a team. How do you build that team? By having relationships. You're going to need to have friends to cheer you on and to have connections and such. So you're going to need to have those connections. A relationship is when two people come together and you're mutually invested in the benefit of one another, a healthy relationship. Now we have all sorts of other ones that fall outside of that spectrum, but a healthy relationship is one where you are willing to budge a little bit, to give a little bit, to make sure that your needs are also are being met, but so are the needs of the person you are in relationship with. And so when I think about business, it seems so fitting to make sure that we focus on serving others while also giving them the opportunity to serve us. 
many times we feel guilty or we feel like we're being burdensome and all those yucky things when we're asking for help, which, which interferes with our ability to connect with one another. Because when you're asking for help, that means you're being vulnerable and vulnerability brings intimacy and connection for a relationship. And so when we build these walls and we think we have to do everything on our own or we get super competitive and don't want anyone to, to be next to us and see what we're doing, we really miss out on having deep connection. And deep connection allows for us to have those people in our corner reminding us that we can do the work that we're trying to do. Because the thing is, entrepreneurship is hard. It's not something that you wake up every day and it's just warm, fuzzy hugs in the morning. It's, it's not like that every day. Yes, you're, you, you're excited about it. Yes, it's great. But there are times when you're going to need a friend to slap some sense into you when you're talking down on yourself or a friend to say, hey, I don't think that's a great idea. I'm supporting you regardless, but I'm not so sure. How do you get people who are going to be honest with you like that and be willing to be vulnerable with you, you've got to connect with them. And so I think when it comes to business relationships, there's different types. I like to call business besties. Those are going to be your close knit. And there's not going to be many of them. And they might take a long time to build. And that's okay. It's supposed to be that way because it has a lot to do with trust. And trust is supposed to be earned, not given freely. And so there's business besties. And then you have your, you know, your, your business, like your, your connectors and your, your friends who, when you see each other, it's a great time, but you're not necessarily talking all the time when they're doing something, you're rooting them on, you're encouraging them. And you're going to have people a little outside of that circle. And those are acquaintances and such. But I think that in any relationship, if you show up with the intent to serve, and to support them, you're going to always get something out of it because there's always an opportunity, no matter how simple it may be, to show up and make someone's life better, even if it's just giving them a word of encouragement. I love this. And I even want to sort of round this out with what Kathleen was talking about strangers for half a second, <laughs> where I see that even as the place in your business when you scale beyond your own intimate connections. And so what Kathleen is craving is like that like business growth milestone, where then your brand is reaching even beyond yourself. But I do think that comes from having that really tight knit core of relationships that allows you to expand beyond beyond it. Exactly. Exactly. You, you have to have that. There were a few things. I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to come back to what you said about it being really important to have an identity outside of your business. And for me, like my all my planets are in my business house on the astrological chart. And we won't even get into that. But I do find a lot of my identity is wrapped up into my business um, for better or worse. And, you know, personal brand is something and like really blending who you are into the work that you do is something that I'm incredibly passionate about. But I definitely see the need for being rooted in something outside of your business, especially whenever your business comes against failures. You know, it can be so easy to internalize that and have shame around it rather than my business failed or that project launch failed or, you know, whatever it was didn't sell. 
going from that to I suck as a human being. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to go there whenever you tie up your identity into your business. So I'm just curious to hear a little bit more from you about that as someone who I think that you do um, keep your business personal, even the way that you share things about your own marriage on Instagram. Like it is personal. So how do you find that separation having such a strong personal brand yourself? And what kind of recommendations would you give our listeners to help find their own identity outside of their work whenever they're so passionate about their work? Yeah, that's great. So let me start with the last question first. So when I think about my identity as a person, because we're very complex beings, we're spiritual, we're physical, we're mental, there's so many different aspects going on all at one time. And when I think about my identity, I like to make sure that my identity and my validation is internal, not external, because external happenings, I have no control over what so ever. I don't have control over what time the sun rises. I don't have control over who likes me. I don't have control over any of those external things. I can have influence. I can have influence over how I do things. I can have influence on where I decide to live. If I don't like the rain, I can move somewhere. But the truth of the matter is there's very limited things that we can control externally. So when I think of my identity, I like to have ownership over that. I like to have control over that. And so internal has everything to do with me. Who am I? My, what are my, what are, what's my personality? What are, what's my vision for myself? What, is, what are my characteristics, characteristics? What are my values? What are my beliefs? These have everything to do with me. And what's great about having an identity that is internal, it does not require comparison in order to feel better or to feel insecure about myself. It has everything to do with, for me, my faith, aligning myself with my faith and what I believe in that. And that allows for me to not be on this roller coaster of, oh, they love me today. I must be a great person. Oh, they didn't like me today. I must be a terrible. That's this roller coaster. As quickly as they love you, they can even hate you even faster. And so I have learned that my identity has to be in something internal, not external, not a relationship. If my husband were to decide to leave me today, I would not, I cannot allow that decision, which it would be a huge mistake on his part. But if <laughs> that, I can't allow that to define my worth, my value, my identity. But so often we internalize so many of the external things that it feels like they're defining us. So it's like detaching all of that stuff that gets soaked into us. It's like we're sponges. So we have to have boundaries in order to keep our identity very internal. And so that's what I would do in terms of how do you go about that? Really understanding yourself and, be, and beginning to embrace yourself. So I'll give you an example. My daughter, she is so much like the more confident Monique, not the Monique when I was a little girl, but more Monique that shows up today. And I believe that's probably because she's around me all the time. And so she's soaking up that energy. So she's very articulate about what she likes, what she doesn't like, what she doesn't want. And she doesn't make it make any excuses for she doesn't make any explanations and and or apologizes for being who she is and so I told my husband the other day I said instead of being upset about her being so picky about certain things why don't you just embrace that about her because that's who she is and so it's going to allow you less frustration and it's going to give her more confidence to and, and feel more secure and, and use you guys relationship and so I've learned to embrace certain things about me that I used to try to change or I used to feel were not good because what was I doing comparing them to other people who I thought 
must have been better than me, must have it better than me. And so they didn't act that way. So I shouldn't act that way. So then it becomes a comparison thing. So the more that you inter- you make your validation internal and know your quirks, know your, your, your what I, I don't even want to say flaws, but know your things that make you special and unique and love them and embrace them and, and celebrate them, the more confidence you're going to feel about your identity and the more confidence you can put into your business because you know that when things don't go the way that you want them to, it's not going to destroy you. It's not going to destroy you. So that's the, that kind of answers both questions, but how I do it for myself, I, I'm really, really mindful of when people compliment me, because when I do a lot of public speaking, I have a lot of energy, you know, I'm fun. I'm one of those people that I draw people to me and, and that's just my that's my personality, so I love it. But I'm also very careful to take it in, but be mindful that it, it still doesn't define me. I, I'm thankful, I appreciate the words of kindness, but I, I'm, really, I'm really guarded in the sense that I try not to allow that to boast me too much so because I know as quickly as they can love me as quickly they can hate me so that was a long answer to two very simple questions but I hope that answered it no I think that's wonderful and I think one of the things that really really stood out for me was this idea that it it is boundaries that help you define and sort of keep sacred who you are even when you go out and try new things and fail and succeed and do all of these things. It is about understanding who you are. So that like hardcore definition, but also having boundaries around, you know, protecting what that definition is. Um, and for me, one of my really practical things, because I'm one of those people, I do obviously hardcore um, blend work in life for sure. But I also like having a very clear um, separation of the two at times. You know, I have friends I have one friend in particular where we've sort of made a pact that he will never listen to the podcast. And I always know that's the relationship that I have where I can go and, um, and, almost be more myself. And that's not really, that's not really even true. I can be me that is unaffected by the viewpoint of my profession, which is super gratifying. And it's, it's become a very like sacred relationship that is super meaningful to me because it's not, um, it's not colored by what I do professionally. It really is just me separate from who I am as a business owner or a podcaster or any of those things. Um, And it doesn't mean that we don't talk about work because sometimes we do, but it is really awesome to sort of maintain, um, and I don't want to say maintain control over relationships in a way that is like awful, <laughs> but in a way that really allows me to nurture myself and those relationships um, in different kinds of ways. Like all of my relationships are different and they don't all have to be the same. I found that tactic for me to be really um, influential and advantageous in lots of ways. Yeah, I love it. One of the things that stuck out for me in you talking about that, Monique, is, well, first off, the idea of, I wrote this down because I'm going to be meditating on this, is the idea of influence versus control versus ownership. And it's like, what can I influence? What can I control? And what can I own? I think that that was really, I mean, outside of the realm of the context of what we're talking about, I think that can be applied to so many things. And really coming back to your inner life and who you are on the inside, Emily and I are about to record an episode all about meditation and really going into this place where you're not placing, you know, context or value on anything outside of you, whether that's strangers hiring you for the work that you do or, you know, um, buying a new pair of shoes. Like it really is about going within to find, 
who you are almost by not focusing on who you are altogether. So like whether that's a prayer practice or a meditation or whatever, it is about just getting outside of your own ego. And I think that can be a huge way to find out who you are by almost like obliterating who you are. I, I was just having a coaching session with a client the other day. And I do, so I do a little bit of relationship coaching as well. That brings in my mental health background. And we were talking about confidence and we were talking about this, the thing that you just said, ownership, influence and control. And I think if you think of confidence like a muscle, so I work out all the time and I lift weights. And if you think about the process of building muscle, they have to be torn down. And it's painful, but it's not always painful. And then what happens afterwards? You're stronger and you're more defined if you stick with it. And so when you think about confidence, you have to basically tear all these ideas and beliefs that you thought you had and all these things that have been placed on. You have to tear those apart and tear them down. And that part is painful. Uncovering beliefs that you have that might be limiting you to do the things that you know you need to do or biases and all those things, that can be painful. Un uncovering certain relationships that you thought were okay but are actually toxic, that can be painful. But what happens when you go through that and you push through the pain is you have growth. And the more you do it, just like at the gym, the more defined those muscles will be, the more defined your confidence will be. But you have to stick with it. This episode is brought to you in part by 2020, where creative minds get authentic, real-world stock photos. I don't know about you all, but are you tired of coming across stock photos that misrepresent women's identity and truly lack in diversity when looking for new content for your creative projects? 2020 lets you buy millions of authentic, real-world photos proven to increase the brand image of your business. And they have a very notorious Real Women photo collection. Today, they're offering listeners of Being Boss a five-photo free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash beingboss to get five free photos. All right, I want to talk a little bit more about relationships, and I want to come back to building those genuine connections and you know, meaningful relationships, whether it's that inner ring of people that you were talking about, like from those business besties to those connectors to the acquaintances, like what are some good steps that we can take to really level up our business while also creating those genuine connections and relationships? So I'll give you a couple practical things. And I talk a lot about this in my book. It's so practical it's almost like a recipe for a cake like do this do that that's it's so <laughs> practical people tell me that all the time when they read it so i'm just giving you a couple very practical things in terms of maintaining relationships because we're all busy i have kids you know i have a, a handsome husband that i love spending time with like there's so many things going on in a day so something i do on a, in a very practical way in order to stay in touch with people who i want to talk to and what i want i want to love on is i set reminder in my calendar to reach out to my friends, clients, family, and I send little text messages. Every now and then, it might be a message that says, hey, what do you have going on right now? How can I be supporting you? Sometimes it's just, I hope you have a great day. If I see they posted something on Facebook that's sad, maybe you know they had a loss in their family, I'll actually pray for them in that moment and let them know that I'm praying for them so I won't forget. Um, very practical, just touching, 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 sending cards. Um, when someone is, is going through something, sending a gift, 
just letting them know that I'm, I'm there for them. And then my close people, I, I will, I actually sit down and have these conversations that might seem corny, but they work is I ask them, what is your love language? What makes you feel supported by me? What hurts you? What is something that I do that disappoints you? Because if you really care about having a healthy relationship with someone, you have to communicate what you need and what they need and can't just assume that just because you've been friends for so long that you are going to know these things. People change. What you used to like, you might not like. So asking that. And then from like a little bit outside circle, you know, folks you're getting to know, I have a formula that when I get on the phone and Kathleen, you know this because I did it with you when we were on the phone. Before we get off, I always ask, what is something I can do to support you right now? And I never let people get away with saying nothing. I always find out at least one or two things. And then I go and do that thing before the week is out. If it's on a Friday, I get it done because I don't want to forget. Um, and so relationships, I make them a priority. I put them in my schedule. I keep them at the forefront of my mind. And I think if more of us would realize that the pseudo connections that we make online could mean so much more if we would just actually engage with one another, reach out to one another, even simple things like if someone's on Insta stories and they share that, Kathleen, you were sharing about your house and it was, you know, the, the furnace and all that. Just say something like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Someone just shared a stressful moment. If you, if they were sitting across from you at a table and they told you that, you probably wouldn't just look at them and then turn the other way. And I think this whole scrolling and just people sharing vulnerable things and we, and we, wrote, we forget that that's a real person behind that screen going through hard times. Someone's sure they had a miscarriage. That's devastating. Don't just scroll through. If you are, then maybe you should not be friends with that person on Facebook. Because if you can't give them a second of just encouragement when they share something or excitement, then then we're missing it. We're totally missing it. So those are some very practical, just touching in with people. I Very regularly, I get in front of people, whether it's dinner or coffee or gather. I gather people together. I do invitations because in-person connection is really where it's at, but it's not always possible. Um, but those are some things that I would encourage people to do is to make it a priority, make it a goal. Of these are many people I'm going to make a point to have coffee, virtual coffee dates with, to get to know them, reach out. All those things. Okay, what if you're an introvert? Like, this is the thing I hear all the time and these funny memes that are like, I want to connect, but I don't like people, which I think is so cheesy. And like, can we just stop saying that we don't like people? We all love you. We all love people. Like, connections are where it's at. The human race wouldn't exist if we didn't like each other. So, but but what if you really are an introvert or terrified of rejection or if you have social anxiety, you know, like I think Monique, it's so easy to look at you and listen to what you're saying and you have this energy where I feel like you're just fearless whenever it comes to connecting with people. But if everyone's not you, how 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 would you tell them to um, reach out if they're really freaked out about it? So, I first of all, thank you. I am pretty awesome. You are your energy. Like you just shine your light, <laughs> and then everyone's like, "Yes, let's hang out. Let's talk. Come to my dinner party." <laughs> but we all have a light. So sometimes what happens is I show up. I just turn turn the light up uh, within you already. It's already in there. So I, I w I'll say this, I get afraid of rejection too. I get afraid of reaching out to people as well. I, and, and I, I equate it to getting on the treadmill. Every time I get on the treadmill, I'm afraid I'm gonna fall off. 
for some reason I'll slip and I'll fall. But I'm like, you know what? That's my imagination and I'm not going to let that get the best of me. And so I'm going to do the thing, even though I'm a little afraid of it. And so when it comes to rejection, rejection is not about me. It's about the person guarding their capacity. And so when someone says no to an offer that I'm extending to them, they're not saying no to me per se. They're saying no to the offer, even though I might be associated to the offer. But it's just like at the food court and they're passing out the little chicken samples. Maybe I just ate at Cheesecake Factory. I am full. There's no more room to insert another piece of food into my body. So I'm going to say no to that chicken, but it might be really great. It might be awful. I don't know, but it's not for me. And so when it, so when you detach the idea that um, rejection is about them not liking me and all that, and you realize that it's about them guarding their capacity, then it's, then it, it removes some of the pressure um, and allows for you to do it more easily. And then for the folks who are introverts, which I'm clearly not, um, I would, mm-hmm. I would, I would say you've got to honor yourself. Um, so that means that if you're going to go to a networking event, make sure you plan time when you get home to, to refuel. Because for me, I'm re-energized when I'm around people, whereas it's the opposite for introverts. It also means knowing that maybe this is something about you that you can grow in. I used to always say that I'm not a morning person. I could never get up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym. Now I get up at 4.50 a.m. in the morning. My husband is still to this day shocked that I'm doing it because he knows how I would love to sleep all day if I could. So it's like reframing some of these beliefs that we have about ourselves in order to do the work that we are desiring. Because if you don't want to do something, you'll find every single excuse possible to not do it. But if you want to do something, you'll figure out how to make it happen. Bring a friend with you if you need to. Go for just a few moments. Leave. Go and and talk to a couple people and call it a day. You don't have to go and do the whole room because that's going to feel weird and cheesy anyway. I always tell people, just try to go and make a couple connections with one or two people. That's going to be better than these stale how's the weather to 30 people in the room. Have a great connection call it a day. So those are some ideas I would suggest. I love that this goes right back to what you were saying about sort of defining yourself and knowing who you are and at the same time creating boundaries that protects that to both in like, you know, knowing if you're an introvert and knowing what you need to do to deal with that or if it's, you know, dealing with rejection and not not combining the thing with who you are. Like it's all, it is all just those two things. <laughs> I, I want to share that I am someone who is terrified of rejection. I hate it so much and it has kept me from putting myself out there so much. But what you were even saying about the samples at the grocery store that someone is offering you, I think that one of the best tools I've had for really becoming okay with rejection is rejecting other people. And so this is going to sound really, I, I don't mean it to sound harsh in any way, but like, We have a lot of opportunity. We get hundreds of pitches a week. There is no way that we have the capacity to have everyone who would want to be on our show on our show. Like there are just not enough hours in the day. We would be booked out through 2021 if we said yes to everybody. Um, So for me, I know that we have to say no a lot, but it's never out of a place of, 
well, you're the worst, or why would we want to have you? It really is that capacity, like guarding our capacity, like you said. Um, So, you know, I might be saying no to someone at the grocery store for the samples, and it's not because I don't like their food. And so even if it's a little rejection, if you can practice saying no to other people in a loving way where you're not making it mean anything other than what it actually is, the more okay you're going to become with being rejected because you'll understand it's coming from that same place place as well. Exactly. And sometimes people are just downright mean. Sometimes you don't want it because you don't like the food. You know, the last time you tried the chicken, it was salty. And you're like, I'm not doing that again. So you might, you might not like it, but again, it doesn't define them. That chicken doesn't define that person. It's just an object. It's an external being. It doesn't define me as a, as a human. So the more you, the more you do that, but I also would add to that is that you have to do things You've you got to give yourself a break. The other day I said to myself, you know what? I just don't feel like being rejected today. So I'm going to take a pause on reaching out. Okay, that's fine. But I'm not going to let that stay last for three months. And I'm going to get out of my head and get to what I need to do. Okay, I have one more question before we move on, because I really want to talk a lot about diversity and diversity advocacy and what that really looks like. But I want to talk about asking for help, because I think that this is in line with relationships and being vulnerable and getting rejected, is this idea of asking someone how you can support them, but then also in return asking for help. So I know that whenever people ask me like, hey, how can I support you? Where do you need help? I'm often like, eh, I don't know. I mean, probably because I'm like fiercely independent or I already have my system set up or I don't know what I don't know. Like I don't even know where I need help. So I'm curious to hear from you, Monique. Whenever it comes to asking for help, how do you identify what you need help around? And being such a strong, fierce woman and entrepreneur who gets a lot done on her own, like how do you get vulnerable enough to ask for help? And what kind of help are you asking for? I am an asking for help expert. I will ask for help so fast and when I released the notion that I was supposed to be perfect and supposed to have somehow have it all together, when I released that notion, I'm helping my son do the same because for some reason he struggles with um, wanting to have things right and perfect. And I'm like, Oh no, we're not about to go through life feeling like that. Um, so when I released that idea of perfection and, and people judging me because I need help, blah, blah, blah. It just made it so much easier to identify things that I'm not very good at, things that I don't enjoy doing, things that someone would do a lot better than me, and then to find the people and then to ask, ask them. And then if they're not available, ask someone else. So my husband will tell you, I am a asking and telling what I need, asking for help, telling what I need expert. I'm really good at it because I don't, I don't think that, I think it's a sign of wisdom to know what you need help with. And then it's a sign of courage to ask for because it is going to require vulnerability. It's going to mean that you're trusting someone else with something that's important with you to you. So that person needs to be trustworthy. Um, that means that you're risking the possibility of that person saying no, and then you're left with that. So, um, but if, again, if we allow our emotions, because all of this is our emotions that, that if we allow them to dictate our choices, we are going to be a total wreck all the time. The emotions alone will not kill you. It's what you do with the emotions that can be toxic. 
It's what you allow the emotions to influence your, how you allow them to influence your behaviors that can be toxic. So if you're feeling scared and then you go and binge on some, you know, cookies and, and this and all that, and now you have all this sugar and you're gaining weight, like that's when it becomes toxic. But when you say, you know what, I'm feeling afraid, but I'm gonna do it anyway, because this fear, this fear isn't gonna help me accomplish my goals. It's the actions that I'm gonna take to move towards my goals that are gonna help me achieve them. So I think that it's just, it's, it's the like getting rid of the idea that I'm supposed to have it all and recognizing that when people help me, it is a blessing to them. How awesome is it to meet someone's need? It is amazing to show up and somebody needs something and you're actually able to provide it. That feels great. So to give someone else that opportunity, that like, it's just a win-win. We're all winning. That's huge. <laughs> I mean, I was even thinking Emily and I are getting ready to launch our book and we put together a street team and we were so hesitant to do it because we're so used to doing everything ourselves. And just to even be able to reach out and say, hey, we need your help. Like, and I could see that I, even just seeing the energy around the ideas that are coming out from this group who's going to help us launch our book has been incredible. And I'm really seeing what you're talking about here, Monique, as far as that being something that they're excited to do as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I want to talk about creative entrepreneurship and race and diversity. You ready? Let's do it. I do this (laughs) at least once a day. Yes. (laughs) So we met at a conference called Blogalicious, and it was incredible and amazing. And one of the things, I think that you asked us a question after we keynoted and asked about diversity on our podcast. And fortunately, it was something that we had been actively thinking about and pursuing, and it's been important to us. But for a lot of people, um, I don't think that they're putting that same amount of thought and attention onto it. But I think also now, like even politically, like things are just stirring up and with the um, Me Too movement and with the Time's Up movement, I think that and Black Lives Matter, I mean, all of this stuff is starting to bubble up. So over here at Being Boss and with you, Monique, here today, like we know that diversity is a good thing. It brings, you know, richness of experience and culture to business, and that brings forth inclusiveness and innovation, and it should be a no-brainer, but it's not. So what are we missing out on whenever the media we consume, the conferences we attend, and the people that we hire lack diversity? Yeah, I would say the one of the biggest things that you're missing out on, um, and this goes across the board, it's, it's, it's not similar to any race, but you're missing out on perspective. You know, the more and, and the more you hear different ideas, which is why I'm a Christian, but I have so many different types of friends from Muslims to woo-woo and just all that, all that in-between atheists. They're they're actually friends. And I love hearing their perspective. I love hearing that their ideas and how they're living their life. And it challenges me to know myself and my perspective even more. And to also maybe rid myself of some things that might not be serving me or my community well. So having those perspectives and different perspectives and, and hearing of those experiences and how people navigate throughout their spaces allows for us to, to check in and see how we might be showing up 
and hurting people or and, and what we can be doing differently. So we miss out on perspective and we miss out on community. We've been talking a lot about relationships and we've been talking a lot about connection. And I believe that community goes right with that. And real community is diverse. Real community is people coming together where you're of different beliefs, different sexual orientation, different religious beliefs. You're, you're different in every capacity, but you're still able to respect and acknowledge and make space for one another. That's hard to do when fear is at the core of how you believe and interact. And I think fear has a lot to do with how we limit ourselves to people that feel safe because we're afraid of the unknown, we're afraid of what we've been conditioned and what we've been exposed to. And so fear is hard um, to displace when um, we're holding onto it so closely and allowing it to dictate our choices, even in terms of community and, and diversity. And then we also are missing out on money. You know, if I only focus on women of color and I only go after that dollar, I'm missing half, over half of my clients. Because a lot of my clients, we couldn't share the same hairbrush. We, we, we're just, we're not, we're not the same. We, we're just not. And so if I were to say my clients have to look like me, they have to believe what I believe, I'm missing out on money. And that makes it very tangible from a business standpoint. Yeah. And I always see business as like one of the foundations of business is the ability to creatively solve problems. Like that's how it are. That's how it is that we create solutions to problems, then we monetize it, all the things. And whenever you are not including other perspectives, you're not bringing in that higher capacity for the kinds of creativity that allows you to solve problems. Like if you're a one man shop, then, or one woman shop or one whatever shop, you are thinking inside your own box. Like you go to someone else to gain a different perspective to solve a problem. And if they're just like you, they're going to have the exact same solutions to the problem as you have. But if they're unlike you, they'll have a broader perspective or a different perspective that can help you solve that problem. So the more diverse you make any team or community or anything, the larger capacity you have to solve problems. And I think we can all agree that the world is filled with very large problems. And I think it'll only be solved by embracing diversity and the vast perspective that that can bring to any of those. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, excuse me while I pause this here and let you in on the exciting news. The Being Boss book is about to hit the shelves of a bookstore near you. Kathleen and I have taken years of conversations between ourselves and those we've had with experts and industry leaders here on the Being Boss podcast and have distilled them down into what we've found makes you boss into a book that you can read, hold in your hands, and share with a friend. And we'd be lying if we didn't admit that we have a big dream with this book. We want it to be a bestseller. We want every creative in the world to cultivate the confidence it takes to take control of their work and make money doing what they love so they can live life on their own terms. That's what our book is here to do, and we need your help to make it happen. If you want to dive into the core of what it means to be boss and support us while you do it, it's time for you to pre-order the book. And once you do that, let us know you bought it and we'll send you some goodies. Just go to beingboss.club slash book for links to purchase and for more information on how to claim your swag. That's beingboss.club slash book. Now let's get back at it. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about white privilege. 
Because I think that there's been a huge misunderstanding whenever it comes to acknowledging privilege. So I see a lot of people say things like, well, you don't know me. You don't know how hard it was for me to grow up, you know, poor or um, whatever. But if they're white, they do have this inherent privilege. So I would like to talk a little bit about, you know, and anyone can chime in, Emily, Monique, on what white privilege is to you and how that's affecting um, entrepreneurship. I think part of the reason people take it um, and get so defensive, because I think there's a spectrum when it comes to being aware of racism and bias and privilege, and there's there's a spectrum of it. And so there's far, you know, whatever, people in the beginning where they're completely oblivious and they are maybe aware and they feel guilty and all those kind of things. So uh, I think when people are immediately defensive, it's because they're, they're, they're making it too personal and without realizing that they belong to a larger system that they may not have built, they did not create, but they disproportionately benefit from just by being born with their pigment. And so when you realize that it's more of a system that trickles down into every other subsystem in our culture, everything from education, social, 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 social justice, um, finances, politics. I mean, there's nothing that's untouched. Even Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. When you realize that this system of white supremacy, which is really what it is, um, that you didn't create, but that you benefit and that you and, and you unknowingly contribute to by being biased and being oblivious to it. Um, when you realize that it's a system, it allows for you to step back and take the personal attachment and can be more productive in dismantling the system. So white privilege has everything to do with unearned access, unearned benefit of the doubt, un- unearned affirmation. The fact that my daughter cannot easily go into a toy store and find a doll that looks like her is a disadvantage to her. Whereas a white girl can guarantee show up in any major department store and find a doll that looks much like the skin color that she is. That unearned affirmation that your identity is what is standard and what is acceptable and what is to be admired and to be loved that that un that unearned you didn't do anything to do that you li- literally just born into it the benefits that this support this proportion of education resources and justice I mean it goes on but it's not something to say you need to be guilty this is a personal attack against you as a system that you benefit from. Amen to all of that. And I think that it really is about acknowledging that it is a system and then using your privilege to dismantle that system, I think is where you can take any defensiveness you might have and turn it into proactive, um, you know, like just a proactive action. Um, so I want to, I want to talk about this system a little bit because I think that this is what a lot of people might also not understand or see, especially if they're just now thinking about diversity and inclusion and systemic racism for the first time. I know that for me, um, you know, waking up and seeing some documentaries and 
really attending, you know, like Black Lives Matters movements and just trying to get in there has really opened up my eyes. And I continue to open up my eyes to privilege and action and dismantling and the system itself. Um, so for example, you know, one documentary I saw was called 13th Amendment and talking about just how, um, systemic racism is feeding our prison systems. And it is, you know, so rooted in American history. And it's so messed up. But I, 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 I almost don't even have the words like in how to get into this. So I guess what I wanted to ask you is, I think 13th Amendment is an amazing documentary that everyone should watch. But do you have any favorite documentaries or books whenever it comes to systemic racism and what we can do to begin to dismantle or, you know, even to understand it so that then we can start to dismantle it? So I I have a list of books and I think we can I can put them on the website and make them available to the listeners. Um, but I, what I will say is that because I'm black, I live this reality. So I don't necessarily need a book to inform or educate me on the reality that I live or the, or the, the, the possibilities um, of, of the risk and the, the things that come along with blackness um, because I live it every day. Um, and in some way there are some things that happen that are very triggering. Certain things on TV can be very triggering. Um, so I can't watch them or, you know, my husband being pulled over and at gunpoint and because he fit a description. So I live it, um, not to the degree that some people have lost their lives and all that and the things that we see. I'm not saying that I, I'm around here just in shackles per se, but my point is I don't really spend a lot of time reading about a lot of this um, in great deal because so much of it is in my face. Um, so there are books that I've read and there's video and movements and things like that and people I follow and all of that. But as a woman of color, it's, it's like, it's my reality. But I will say also that it's important for white women and men to take it upon themselves to educate and to inform and to not request or require or demand that people of color educate them and teach them and show them that is the most frustrating thing. When I share a piece on my experience as a black woman in America, and then someone goes to almost ask that I defend my humanity and, and, and don't, doesn't understand why I'm believing this or why I'm, I'm saying this. And so I've, I've started to just tell people, if you want to know what to do, go to Google because Google has the answer to everything. <laughs> and I'm not going to engage in the emotional labor of educating you on things that you can learn for yourself. What I will do is I'll talk to you about my experience. We can talk about what we can do to make things different. But what I won't do is try to teach people of this reality that is so clear. It's so clear and evident if you just open your eyes. So and now what I'll add to that is that there are a lot of people who feel, well, what can I do? What can I do? I know that things are bad. I know that there's racism. I just feel so helpless. I don't know what to do. Again, go to Google and, <laughs> and type in anti-racism or 
white ally or diversity. There's so much knowledge and information out there. I think part of the reason people feel so helpless and they, they use that, they, they cower under that is because to take on the grandness that this problem is, is overwhelming and it feels heavy and it's, it's sickening to the stomach. And so you don't want to feel like that. And so I just sometimes, some, even myself, sometimes I'd rather just bury my head in the sand and just pretend that this isn't reality, but then I wake up and I'm black. So then it's like, it's, it's not a choice. It's not a choice for me to, to be concerned about these matters. So I think anyone who has people of color in their lives, they need to spend more time talking to them about their experiences and specifically learning how can I support you, this, you the person in front of me, as a as better, and what can I be doing to support you better as I'm also reading and educating myself about the things that are affecting you because of the color of your skin. Yes, I completely agree with that. And I think that even like wraps up with what you were talking earlier. It's about nurturing those closest relationships that you have. And it's making sure those are completely solid because what you're doing in those really close relationships is what you're doing beyond those close relationships as well. And I love and I actually just leave that there. Um, I super appreciate you sharing all of that. And I know that's something that Kathleen and I, as we have grown the the platform that the podcast is, and I remember talking to you about this whenever we were at Blogalicious, it's been for us about giving a platform to people who, um, who haven't had the ability to share their voice in quite the same way that Kathleen and I have been able to. So I appreciate you coming and sharing all of that because it's something where, you know, as all of us creatives are working in our little holes <laughs> on our own, and, you know, we see what what's happening on social media, but we're worried about how we can take action. I I love that it's get on Google, <laughs> find the thing that works for you, but also nurture the people who are closest to you. I have something to say about Google. So I was listening to my husband's into self-driving cars and machine learning, and there is some racism happening even in machine learning. So if you are a white person typing into Google Egypt, for example, your search results might be wildly different than a person of color typing in the word Egypt into Google. So it is interesting, you know, you might type in Egypt and see, you know, or I might type in Egypt and see like best resorts in Egypt. You know what I mean? And not talking about conflict or whatever is happening. So it, even then, even with Google, like you have to just continue to ask questions and seek out those answers. And I think it starts by knowing what the questions that you want to ask are. And I mean, I think even just watching, I think documentaries are one of the best places for really educating yourself. And there are so many on Netflix. Documentaries are definitely having a moment. So we'll certainly include a list of some of our favorites on the show notes for this episode as well. Yeah, I have some um, for sure. And and, and I want to also add that when it comes to diversity and building a more diverse life and then a diverse brand, it really does start with your personal relationships. Because if your personal relationships, they all, you guys all look alike, you all believe the same things and all of that, that means that is going to, that is going to directly influence your business, which that's why so many of these businesses have these all white lineups and they have these all white podcasts and all white blogs and, because their circle is very white. 
So of course the people that they're reaching out to are white. So you have to diversify your inner circle and then build upon that. That's going to mean putting yourself in situations where you can interact with people who aren't going to look like you go to a conference where most of the speakers might be people of color. You're guaranteed to make some Brown friends. So <laughs> it, it's important that you put yourself out there and not expect that these people are going to be visible for you to see because they're not being put on platforms. They're not given opportunities. And then the platforms that they create for themselves and those that look like them, you're not looking for them because again, you're looking for people who look like you. So it's going to require a lot of intentional effort. I also think that if you are invited to speak at a conference, also look at the lineup. And especially if you are white yourself, ask the coordinator, hey, have you been reaching out to women of color? Have you been reaching out to, um, you know, who have you been, who else have you invited? And I think that really it is, like you said, Monique, it is our job to help dismantle the racism that our ancestors created. You know, that is on us. And so we can do it in these really little ways. And I know that systemic racism, I know for me, whenever I start researching and diving into it, can feel so overwhelming. Like, oh my gosh, how am I going to fix the prison system? Well, guess what? I can't. But I can choose to put my son in a school. Okay, so this just happened. We just moved to Detroit and there is a school literally a stone's throw from my house around the corner and they had an opening which is rare for a four-year-old whenever you're trying to find full-time preschool or daycare they had an opening and whenever I asked them about the diversity at their school um they used some kind of offensive language and I know that they had they were well-meaning but the the language that they used was offensive and they did not have a lot of diversity in their school and I chose to take him somewhere that's a 20-minute drive because it was more inclusive and much more diverse and him being you know a little white boy who's gonna grow up in privilege I just want him to be surrounded by diversity so that he can use his privilege to lift up everybody um, so, I mean, just even little things like that. And I think especially in the way that we raise our children can make a huge impact. And then the way that we hire and the way that we, you know, attend conferences or even just consuming media like this should seem like a no brainer. But subscribe to podcasts that are hosted by women of color, um, buy movie tickets from, you know, at movies that feature you know, actors of color. So I think that this is like really small ways that we can begin, but it will start to open up your sphere and your brain and kind of break that bubble where everyone looks the same. Yeah. When you do an inventory of the books that you read, the websites that you follow, the podcasts that you listen to, the people you hire, if you do an inventory and they are summing up to look a whole lot like you, that means that you are going to, you got a lot of homework you need to do. And even from your visual branding, you know, of all the people in your, your Instagram feed, if I can't see myself within the first nine photos or so, I, I, not for me. I, I'm so... I'm at a point, my friends, they tease me a little bit because I'm so unapologetically black. And I'm at a place where my friends, even my white friends, they'll reach out to me and they're like, oh, I just reached out to this conference that didn't have any people of color. And I reached out to them and told them, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm empowering my friends to take action in these places just by using my voice. And a lot of, and I call white people out all the time. 
please do better because this burden is not for me to carry on my own. This is not, I didn't create the system and neither did you, but you benefit from it. So it's, it's, it is going to require a lot more white people stepping up and not taking over. Cause that's another, that's another issue. You have a lot of white women and men who feel like, okay, well I need to do something. So I'm going to take over this and I'm about to lead the way. No, 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 we're, we're not. We don't need that. We don't need you to be a voice for us. Don't do that. You can use your platform to amplify our voice, to bring light to the issues and to build correlations and, and connections. But don't get on the phone with me and tell me all the things that you're about to start doing and what needs to be done. And you haven't even let me talk that that is that I've experienced that, too. And it's really frustrating. Um, so there's there's a lot that can be done. And it can seem overwhelming. And I've wrote a couple articles on my website about what to do to build a more inclusive brand um, from a brand standpoint, even just from a personal, just human being standpoint. It is complex. But if you focus on the level of influence that you have and just go out a few degrees outside of that, and if everyone were to do that, we would make a really lasting impact on our next generation. Right. And that is necessary. <laughs> Absolutely necessary. Monique, you have a light that shines so bright. We're so glad to have you on the show. Can you share a little bit more about what you're working on right now and where our listeners can find you? Sure. So I am working on a couple things. One, I have some in-person workshops that are all about business building from marketing, PR, client experience, public speaking, passive income, all kinds of things that support business growth. Um, I'm a little out of breath because I went downstairs. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I work out all the time. Why am I out of breath? But, um, and then I also am working on um, a, another book that's going to be around business, profitability, sustaining a business. And so that'll be coming out in the fall time. And I love doing one-on-one -on -one brand development for people who are ready to expand and try new um, ideas and strategies to grow their business and serve their audience. Um, you can find me, Instagram, social media. I'm on, I'm on Instagram a lot. I do a lot of stories, real life over there. One thing I love about your stories that I just want to point out is that you do talk a lot about, and we didn't get to dive into this here, but you do talk a lot about communication and marriage. And so for any entrepreneurs who are wanting to communicate better with their spouses through the stresses of entrepreneurship, I just think that you do such an amazing job really highlighting that and being very intentional about that. Oh, thank you. I think because, you know, business is very, very personal. And, and for, if you're married, you know, sometimes business can be all encompassing. And so those boundaries are important and it's, it's important to communicate um, with your spouse and remember that you're on the same team. All right, Monique, what makes you feel most boss? Uh, you know what immediately comes to mind? Um, it's like when I'm in the gym and I'm in my pink pants and I'm like, and I'm not, I don't look like I go to the gym all the time. Like I still got a couple roles here and there, you know, it's just like, I don't, you might be like, do she really be in the gym? But, um, <laughs> but I walk around the gym, like I'm all that. Like I just walk around there. I've got it going on. And so I just feel most boss when I'm taking care of myself, when I'm, 
when I'm getting in the gym, when I'm eating healthy, when I'm spending time with my family, because that's taking care of my heart. Like when I'm taking care of myself and, and, and doing things that build me up, I just, it's like, girl, you better get it, girl. <laughs> love it. I can, I'm just picturing you now and I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us, Monique. It was a complete pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey bosses, I want to tell you about the CEO Day Kit. The CEO Day Kit is 12 months of focus planning for your business in just one day. So Emily and I have packaged up the exact tools that we've been consistently using for years that have helped us grow from baby bosses to the CEOs of our own businesses. Gain clarity, find focus, get momentum, prioritize your time, make better decisions, and become more self-reliant with the CEO Day Kit. Go to courses.beingboss.club to learn more and see if it's a fit for you and your business. We'd like to give a shout out to our partner, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. You can try it for free for 30 days, no credit card needed, and cancel anytime. Just go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. Special thanks to our sponsor, 2020, who is offering our Being Boss listeners a five-photo free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash beingboss to get five free photos. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brame. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Bean counter, David Austin. With support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week. 